Hey, what's up, Cub fans? Welcome to episode 91 of Locked On Cubs, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host, Ryan Davis. I work for Sporting News, The Athletic, Bet Chicago, Cubs Insider, and the Cloud City Chronicle. You can find my work at all those places somewhat intermittently. Um, and I'm bringing you this episode in the wake of a doubleheader split for the Cubs. We'll talk a little bit about what happened in those two games yesterday. Um, I'll give you a quick preview of uh, what's going to happen today and when the Cubs will play. Second segment, we'll talk a little bit more about the pitching matchup today, and we'll go into uh, some of the all-star conversations since we're getting close to all-star decisions. And then finally, we'll just do our, our regular around the NL Central. So in the first game of yesterday's doubleheader, Taylor Chatwood once again did his high wire act that everyone is so fond of. He made it through five innings and he allowed just one earned run on two hits with six strikeouts, which if you're getting that out of your number five starter, you're probably pretty happy. But the problem is he also walked five batters. So he's constantly in trouble. Um, yesterday is on the better end of what you could hope for, for from Tyler Chatwood until he someday hopefully gets this walk issue figured out. Uh, Steve Ciszek allowed a run in the sixth inning, and then Justin Wilson allowed two runs in the ninth to turn a potential Cubs victory into a 4-3 to three loss. This one stings especially bad, considering that Wilson had the Dodgers down to their last strike with a 3-2 to two lead. Uh, this one was essentially Wilson gave up a base hit to uh, left field that got past Chris Bryant. Runner from second came around to score. Uh, Ian Happ, for some reason, had some trouble with it and left getting the ball back in. And the runner came, I think it was uh, Justin Turner, who's not an especially fast runner, came around all the way from first base uh, to score on the play uh, when really, and I, I feel like uh, the Cubs should have been able to get a throw in and keep Justin Turner at third. But it's what happened. The Cubs lost that game. Kenley Jansen came in, closed it out in the ninth. Uh, in the second game, the Cubs came back late to take the lead. Mike Montgomery wiggled out of trouble a few times early, going six innings and allowing five hits on four walks, uh, just one earned run with five strikeouts. Anthony Bass, Randy Rosario, Ciszek, Justin Hancock, and Rob Zestrisny combined to hold the Dodgers scoreless out of the pen, and Kyle Schwarber tied the game at one with a solo homer in the bottom of the seventh. The game went to the bottom of the 10th inning, still tied, when Chris Bryant tripled to lead things off. This one was a fun one. It was a deep drive to right field down the line that, that Puig had to chase forever uh, because it hit the wall uh, in the corner and then bounced back towards the field. Um, and I, I think Jim Deshays or Len Casper pointed out correctly on the broadcast, uh, if this was at a different point in the game or if there were two outs in the inning, I feel like they probably send Bryant to the plate uh, for a chance at an in, inside of the park home run. But because this was leading off the inning, uh, that would have been absolutely foolish trying to make a play at the plate uh, when you really you, you have the winning run at third base with nobody out. The Dodgers intentionally walked Javier Baez, which I didn't totally understand, and we'll get to that in a moment, so that they could pitch to Albert Almora, who, who then hit a single to right field to plate Bryant and put the Cubs up 2-1 to one, win the game. So I didn't understand that strategy. Uh, if you're going to put the free-swinging Baez on base to pitch to the contact-heavy Almora, why not put Almora on to create a force out at every base? I felt like it was either, you know, with a runner on third and nobody out, you either pitch to Baez and hope to get the strikeout, 
uh, and then put Amora on to create a double play opportunity with Rizzo up, uh, or you walk both of them and pitch to Rizzo with the bases loaded because the runner on second and the runner on first don't matter except for the fact that there are force outs at every at every base. So really, for the Dodgers, uh, bases loaded is a better situation with nobody out than just runner on third because you know you could go you, you could hit a chopper to the shortstop and and send Bryant to the plate whereas you know if you have the bases loaded you could draw in the infield and then hope maybe Anthony Rizzo hits a ground ball to the shortstop who's you know playing closer in and he could throw a home for one and then down to first base for a double play and then really put the Dodgers in a situation where they could actually get out of the inning but um you know with Baez on first base if you ground it to the shortstop or the second baseman, you're not turning a double play because, you know, with nobody out, if you're getting Baez out at second and now more out at first, Bryant's going to score. So the game ends. So it really just didn't make any sense to me. Uh, maybe I'm completely missing something here, but I thought the right move was probably trying to strike out Baez. And at that point, you put Almora on first pitch to Rizzo, which weirdly sounds like a terrible idea, but... Rizzo's not a particularly fast runner and, you know, putting that guy on first to create that double play opportunity, uh, especially with how much Rizzo pulls the ball uh, to the right side. I felt like that would have been the right move, but Hey, they didn't do it. And the Cubs won. So that's, what's important tonight's game. will sorry. Today's game will feature John Lester against Ross Stripling, which we'll talk about in just a moment. Um, and it will be a one twenty start. So, getting started here soon if you're listening when this podcast first drops and it'll be broadcast on wgn so this is a really interesting matchup on the mound today uh, because lester and stripling have arguably been the two best pitchers for either team this year which i think a lot of people probably would have been surprised to hear uh especially on the dodgers side um in you know essentially with the, close to the final week of june Stripling comes into the game with a 6-1 and one record and a 176 ERA, and that's in total, not just as a starter. Stripling has only made nine starts this year and also 11 relief appearances, um, but in his starts, he has a 212 ERA with 61 strikeouts and just five walks in 51 innings. So against this guy, I think the, the obvious notion will be he's only walked five batters in 51 innings, so you need to be swinging at the pitches that you that you like. The 28-year-old right-hander spent most of last year as a reliever, so he has kind of come out of nowhere for the Dodgers to give him a lift. Los Angeles is just 38-34 and 34 this year after winning 104 games last year, so the season hasn't gone as they had expected, to say the least. Injuries have been a huge factor, and then also regression from some guys like Alex Wood and Rich Hill. That hasn't helped either. Uh, right now, Stripling is their only healthy starter that has been you know, somewhat remarkable for the Dodgers. On the other side of the field, there's Lester, who many fans wanted to write off as aging and in decline before the season started. It's somewhat understandable, given the fact that Lester is 34 years old, and he had a down year last year with a 433 ERA. That was his worst since 2012 with the Red Sox. But so far this year, Lester has an 8-2 record with a 228 ERA in 14 starts. Now, I don't want to paint this picture as Lester has been perfect. He is not. Some of his peripheral numbers aren't at their best, uh, with the strikeout rate being his lowest since 2013. 
while the walks uh, stay on par with last year's debacle. Lester's fielding independent pitching uh, would be the highest of any full season in his career if it were to stay where it is. So a lot of those numbers say that Lester hasn't been as great as his ERA would suggest, but also the eye test suggests that Lester has been very good, at least for the most part this season. Over his last nine starts, he has a 178 ERA in 55 and two-thirds innings, and he's gone at least six innings in each of his last six starts, and in three of those, he's gone seven innings. So Lester's been able to eat innings for the Cubs in a way that uh, most starters have not been, and he's also going out there giving up less hits. He's giving up less runs. Uh, It's really been a huge boost uh, to the Cubs and their bullpen on days when John Lester has been on the mound. This may not be his best season statistically minus his outstanding ERA. Um, but his best three years by most measures came from 2014 to 2016. So that means he's not too far removed from his best years. And the Cubs have always really believed in his style of pitching. Like he would age well I think the comp that I've given and I've heard other give is that the Cubs kind of believe that he would be sort of an Andy Pettit where he could pitch into his late thirties and still be an effective starter. So let's talk a little bit about all-stars. Lester has to be one of them, right? For the Cubs. Um, I think it's an interesting conversation. uh, Who should be a Cub all-star this year? There are, No current Cubs players leading in the voting, um, but there's at least one that's very close. Wilson Contreras trails Buster Posey by about 90,000 votes, and by wins above replacement, Contreras has been the best catcher in the National League this season. So he deserves to be there whether he is voted in or not. Ozzie Albies is currently the starter at second base, uh, but I think you can make a really strong case that Scooter Jeanette is probably the more deserving player. I think both are going to be all-stars no matter how it shakes out, uh, which probably means that Javier Baez, who had a really strong start to the year, uh, may be left on the outside. If you look at first base, Anthony Rizzo had a rough start to the year and has been much better since. uh, But statistically, uh, there have been several better first basemen in the NL. So another player that's extremely unlikely to make it. Chris Bryant is in the midst of a long slump, but overall statistically is right there with Nolan Arenado in park neutral stats like WRC plus. So I think he'll definitely be on the all-star team. uh, Even if he's not voted in by the fans as the starter, especially if he starts to pick it up again, as he has in the last few days where he's driving the ball a little bit more among outfielders. Kyle Schwarber is third and wins above replacement in the national league. And I believe deserves to be there. However, the current leaders in the outfield among voting are Nick Markakis, Matt Kemp, and Bryce Harper. Lorenzo Cain absolutely has to be there. He's uh, been the National League's best outfielder by uh, wins above replacement and has been just absolutely tremendous for the Brewers. Uh, And Brian Anderson, who I think a lot of fans would be surprised to find out that uh, he's actually having a really good year for the Miami Marlins, who are only going to get one representative, and I feel like it's going to be him. So uh, right there, we've got Kane and Anderson off the bench with Marquecas, Kemp, and Harper in the starting lineup. That's five outfielders, and you could easily see how, considering other teams will need a guaranteed uh, player on the all-star roster, how Schwarber could get pushed out there. Among the bullpen, Brandon Morrow seems like a logical choice, but 
will he be healthy when these selections are made? He's dealt with arm fatigue and back spasms lately, and he hasn't pitched a whole lot this month. So if I were being realistic, I would suggest that Wilson Contreras is a lock to make it as a starter uh, or a backup to Buster Posey. Bryant should be there as as well as John Lester. I feel like those three, uh, Contreras, Bryant, Lester, should definitely be all-stars. Schwarber and Morrow deserve it too, but... Yeah, you know, it's tough to see. I think maybe one of them gets in, um, but it would be hard to see without any starters, the Cubs getting more than three all-stars. Quickly, let's go around the NL Central. The Milwaukee Brewers jumped out to an early 3-0 lead over the Pittsburgh Pirates, and they went on to hold that lead and win 3-2. The St. Louis Cardinals blew a 6-4 lead by allowing two runs in the bottom of the eighth to the Philadelphia Phillies, but they scored in the top of the ninth to win 7-6. to six. And the Reds also won, beating the Detroit Tigers 9-5. to five. So because the Cubs split their doubleheader, uh, they lost a half game of ground to everyone but the Pirates, and here are the updated standings. The Brewers sit alone in first place right now at 43-30. and 30. The Cubs are a half game back, now 41-29. and 29. The Cardinals are four games out of first place at 38-33. and 33. The Pirates are now seven back at 36 and 37, and the Reds are 27 and 45 at 15 and a half games back. So the Cubs will play the Dodgers again. That's a 120 start today. Uh, the, it'll be Lester against Stripling, and the winner will decide who you know takes this series officially. Um, you know, two games to one. So hopefully the Cubs can take it and continue their string of winning series, which they've done. You know, for the most part. Uh, for the last month or so, minus, you know, losing two of three in Milwaukee. Uh, After today's game, the Cubs will go to play Cincinnati for four. uh, Los Angeles to take on the Dodgers again, which will be a whole bunch of night games. Uh, That's what the Cubs have going on in the upcoming schedule. Uh, If we look a little bit further ahead, they have some interleague play. They'll have three with the Twins at home, followed by two with the Detroit Tigers, and then they've got the Cincinnati Reds again before they head back out west to go play the Giants and the Padres. So that takes you uh, through the next month. A whole lot of winnable games. The Dodgers haven't been world beaters like they were last year. You've got seven games with the Reds. You've got some uh, AL Central teams that have been no good. So really, this is this is the moment in time where the Cubs really should be able to uh, start to take over first place and distance themselves even just a little bit. Uh, and if you look... Uh, you know, after series with the Giants and Padres on the West Coast, the Cubs come back from the All-Star break with a five-game series with the St. Louis Cardinals. I think that will be uh, kind of a big moment in time uh, to measure where the Cubs are and whether this is going to be a, a team that's resting starters down the stretch to uh, get ready for the postseason or whether they'll still be kind of in a fight with the Brewers or Cardinals uh, for the division lead. Thanks again for listening, guys. You can find us on Twitter at Locked on Cubs. Please give us a follow and interact. Uh, I usually put out poll questions or just in general, I look for questions from fans there. You can send me topic ideas or uh, questions for a mailbag, uh, any of that good stuff. You can also email that stuff to LockedOnCubs at gmail.com. Uh, be sure to go on iTunes if you listen that way and leave us a review of uh, those four and five star reviews where you guys 
not just uh, not just leaving the 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 rating, but also actually giving us a, a review really helps uh, with our visibility. So uh, the more people seeing that stuff, the the higher our podcast gets ranked in the whatever iTunes algorithm, and and the more people find us, that that's better for everybody involved. So uh, thanks again for listening, guys. I'll talk to you again tomorrow.